Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's number 17 this week, Rich. Yep. We had record listeners download last week, so welcome aboard to you. We think you are number 1,199 out of 1,200. Yippee! That's going well, isn't it? Yep. Lovely to have you wiggling along. Hmm. I am not going to burst out laughing this week because it clips a file and it probably blows your head up if you're listening on your iPod on the tube. But Michael's got a new machine to level us all out, so yeah. here's a quick ho-ho-ho to test. <laughs> <sighs> our Wiggly podcast is recorded here in the sitting room of Lower Blakemere Farm and we're going to talk about our farm and natural gardening. Ricardo, this yep. week's a slogan. Okay. Fertilising a gardener's world, transforming terra firma and collaborating colour and creatures alike. Fantastic. And you see, I asked him to do a slogan to explain to our listeners what we are in a new and fresh way. And have they got a clue now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never know. Oh, you read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. We've had a really busy week this week, haven't we, Rich? We have. It's been varied, hasn't it? Yep. Much varied. We're going to talk about... Fordor Farm, Naked Scientist, Hay Festival, our book, and lots more. But we've got to fit it in. Right. So, first of all, Wiggly Wigglers has had a complete explosion of beehives. So, yeah. we've just got yeah. billions of them, haven't we? We have. Pip's been mad making beehives the last, well, probably the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it? and he's got a new boy on the block. So, we must say hello, AD, because I know he listens into our podcast. Yeah. yeah. AD, hello there. And well done. He's definitely got the hang of them now. Yeah, actually, he has by now. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with them, but he reckons that they'll all go. They um, The first thing we've got is we've got an email from Neil Hughes. I'll read it out because he's got a question in it. Hello, just wanted to thank you for the podcast, which I listen to on my iPod shuffle during my walk into town every week. People are probably starting to wonder who the weird bloke is laughing to himself as he walks past. A question for the Wiggly Gang. This will be you, Rich. Uh-huh. I take great pleasure in feeding and watching the birds in the garden. This time of year, as well as the food I put out for them, they are constantly rummaging around in the dead leaves and plants. And in the case of the wren, which has taken up residence, pulling great big caterpillars and grubs from amongst the herbs. Surely a sign that winters are getting warmer. But the gardening books tell you to spend the winter clearing up your garden, getting rid of dead leaves, etc., to stop diseases and pests from staying in the soil and attacking the plants next year. A new gardening series on the TV has just said exactly the same thing. Cut your plants back before the frosts arrive and clean everything up. No plants and rubbish equals no bugs equals no food for the birds. What do you do at Wiggly's during the winter? Big clear up, no clear up, some kind of compromise. Being a garden bird fanatic and lazy gardener, I tend not to do much and try not to feel too guilty as I look at the slightly chaotic result. Neil from Bridgend. Slightly chaotic is always good. And I think, you know, in many respects, you've answered your own question, Neil, but at Wiggly's we do have a a compromise. Phil, who who helps us with the garden, comes in and he kind of tidies areas of the garden because it needs to look aesthetic in, in many places because we have visitors to the farm and whatnot so we must make sure that some of it looks very tidy but it is important to leave lots of leaf mold and twigs and decaying plant vegetation around the place 
purely for the reasons that you've stated. You know, it's really important for grubs to, uh, to, to have a home in a garden over winter. What about this disease and pests staying in the soil and attacking the plants next year? Well, it's interesting. There will always be different schools of thought, and I think perhaps in some instances there might be, there might be good reasons for removing some of the, the material and allowing the frosts, for instance, to get right into the soil and kill off some of those bugs. But my feeling is, and I, I, I don't tidy my garden at home until about now. In actual fact, I'm going to go on this weekend and I'm going to cut back some of my raspberry canes and have a bit of a tidy up, take out some of the dead grasses and whatnot. But I always leave it as late as possible, mm. purely because I know that those places are housing grubs like caterpillars, which wrens, and wrens especially appropriate in this instance because they're specifically carnivorous, will feed on. Don't you think it's better not to tidy and then encourage soil development so use products like i know we spoke to rob about compost tea and we've started to research em see i mean this is the beauty with em for instance now if you use em if you use effective microbes to, to you know enhance your soil microbes then the beauty of em is it works in exclusion of all the pathogenic bacteria so if you're, if, if Let's you're have it in header language, Rich. Well, in effect, you can use it to rot down your household waste. Which I do, which, which is do. great because it do. makes it not smell. And we've got one in the office. It's easy to use. I understand that. But also what you can do is you can create cultures of friendly bacteria and you can apply those bacteria directly to the soil. Right. And like you mentioned, Heather, we're, we're in the process of developing a new product that people can apply to their plants and their soil a combination of friendly bacteria that will work to improve the quality of your soil and reduce the fungal infections and bacterial infections that uh, might occur in plants if you don't tidy up your detritus. Mm. We'll talk more about composting and also the garden yoghurt maker which is the idea of being able to make your own effective microorganisms for your own garden yeah. um, because that, that product will be coming on board soon. But um, <coughs> for today, Neil... I'll just leave it a mess, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Lovely. Moving on, we went down to the Naked Scientist. Had a great trip off, didn't we? Went to the pub. That was good, yeah. Drove all the way over to Cambridge, and it didn't take anywhere near. I had a message from you to say, we've got to leave earlier, Rich. So I was on the dumper, bringing firewood down from my top shed. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to quickly frape over to my neighbours and put the dumper back and run back into the house. But as things turned out, we got there about an hour early, which is amazing (laughs) for us. We didn't want to be late, of course, because we were going out live, weren't we? BBC Cambridgeshire, wasn't it? BBC Radio I think it was four regions throughout the south-east of Britain. Right. I think they've got 100,000 live listeners and they've actually got 40,000 listeners to their podcast yeah it's quite some achievement but it's a fairly unique show isn't it yeah it's in the itunes ratings as i think i think it rates us number 35 or something mm. like that does it obviously kind of moving up and down but it's a really fantastic show and, uh, and lots and lots of people because there, there seems to be this kind of new interest in the revived interest in all things scientific so obviously they've got lots of new listeners as well young listeners so they invited us to go over there didn't they yeah. and talk about worm composting Yep. Which we did. We did. And it was really good. I enjoyed it. We psychologically prepared ourselves to talk for hours about worms <laughs> and effective microorganisms, and in the end we, we talked for something about <laughs> 10 minutes or something like that. Eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, um, it was worthwhile. It was interesting to meet those other guys that were there, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, there was somebody from Rothamsted Research Station 
yep. which have done lots and lots of work on worms. But he was actually into intercropping yeah, that's right. um, and was talking about mosquitoes. But if you want to listen to the show, just go to nakedscientist.com or iTunes and get Naked Scientist podcast for last Sunday. Now, the date of that would have been the 17th. Mentions plant science, mosquitoes and us, I'm sure. Yeah. We spoke to Jane Peroni last week and I forgot to mention her blog. So here's the address of her blog. P-E-R-R-O-N-E, Peroni, dot blogs, dot com, forward slash, horticultural, forward slash. And I've been to her blog this week and found a great link to the Guardian article on hedgehogs. But also... We've heard that our book's going to be launched at Hay Festival. Yeah. And we've got a bit of exclusive news for the listener. <laughs> we have. We've decided on a title, haven't we? What, what is the title? The title of our book is Bringing a Garden to Life by Jenny Steele. The Wiggly Wiggler's Guide to Bringing Your Garden to Life. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be a great read, I think. What else have we got on? Let me see. Anne's brought her bouquets in to be photographed for Valentine's Day and Mothering Sunday. Right. Did you see those? I haven't seen those, not for those, no, no not the ones. Lots of tulips and tiny daffodils, and she's buying from English producers at the moment, right. but all the foliage is from the farm. Brilliant. A lot of dogwood, that bright red, it's yeah. really nice, yeah, it's, it's great, beautiful. It? Yeah. You've got to go to www.fordhallfarm.com, and that's spelled F-O-R-D. H-A-L-L-F-A-R-M dot com. Yeah, don't do what I did and put Ford Hill Farm in all the time. <laughs> what did that come up with? <laughs> Not a lot. OK. Yeah. Um, Charlotte and Ben are 23 and 21 years old and their farm has been organic since the year dot. In fact, their dad, I think, produced the first organic yoghurts. That's right. And it was an amazing place. It's under threat because the owners want to sell it for development. And Charlotte and Ben are going to fight and raise money to make this into a community farm. The idea is that you buy shares in the farm of £50 a share, I think it was. And they're trying to raise some amazing amount, squillions and squillions of pounds. But they've got all sorts of people on board. Chris Baines. Sting. Sting. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite impressive, wasn't it? And lots of MPs. And we went there to look at their garden. Rich just explained really briefly what an amazing garden that was. Well, I, I think at one time it must have been the most fantastic garden because there was an old ancient swimming pool at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. There were some huge, great rocks at the front of the garden that was obviously a kind of rockery, uh, all covered in lichens and fantastic mosses. And the centre, the, the lawn area, was a tennis court originally, wasn't it? Yeah, it used to be like the sort of country club. And they showed us wonderful pictures, black and white pictures, of how it was in 1950 with all the ladies who lunch, playing tennis on the lawn and swimming in the pool. Amazing, amazing. And and it's obviously deteriorated slightly because their efforts have obviously been spent um, working on the farm, setting up the farm shop and raising funds and whatnot for their new enterprise. But what they're looking to do is kind of reinstate it and bring it back to its original splendour, aren't Mm. they? We had a look and decided that there really does have to be two stages unless they're going to dedicate their life to the garden, which probably wouldn't be a good idea. No, that's right. Stage one I love, which is to encourage a natural habitat. So plant up the rockery with native flowers, a bit of water back in, gently kind of wild it. Yeah. And stage two, which is the one that you loved, 
Yeah, which is trying to reinstate it, really restore it to its to its former glory. Interesting enough, in that the front portion where the, where we talked about the rockery, yeah. there's loads and loads of ground alder growing. I, mean, I know ground alder is a real pain. Fortunately, they're going to get some volunteers down to come down and sort of weed it out. But if anybody can let us know whether ground alder has any ecological significance, then please get in touch because you know I've struggled to see how it benefits anything at all. Well, not only that, you created you created a bit of a moment there because I mean this, these are the <laughs> is leading yeah. um, lights in organic farming since the year dot. And there, Richard was. <laughs> you know, the environmental, educational, yeah. development uh, star. And they said, what can we do about this ground older? And he said, ooh, bit of roundup, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let it grow up and spray it off with roundup. That's the best bet. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and it's, in some respects, it is it, by far the best bet. But of course, if you're if you're um, gardening or farming organically, then it's you know, not the shrewdest move. And in actual fact, using chemicals or any type is a bit difficult because we've also got the implications of supporting these huge organochemical companies. You know, it's it's worth avoiding, really. Oh God, Phil would disagree he's on with a, me. He's on his eco warrior <laughs> moment. Yeah. Now, but you did then call for your spade, didn't you, love? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then um, we... we fortunately, ground elders are very shallow-rooted. So whilst you've got to be sure to get all the roots out, even if you leave a little tiny bit in there, it'll uh, start to multiply again. But because it's so shallow-rooted, you can get the majority of it out. What about putting, um, you know, a, a sheet of polythene or teram or, or mulch over the top or something? Yeah, I guess if you put uh, if you put something hard, like you say, a teram, whatnot, that would certainly suppress the growth. Mulch, I, I've got to say that uh, ground odd would probably come through that. Yeah. Anyway, there'll be more about this project, which we've kind of titled The Lost Farm of Heligan. We'll see how it carries on. And uh, <laughs> we? <laughs> well, Michael came up with it and that's I loved really, it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, good luck to Charlotte and Ben. And if you want to buy a share in their community farm, it will keep that farm going for years to come in its organic state status. Go to www.fordhallfarm.com. Brilliant. Way back a long time ago, poor... Mm. Probably podcast two, I'd say. <laughs> Seems like a while ago. Yeah, listener, go and look. You'll have to check all the podcasts to know when we mentioned this. But yeah. anyway, way back when, Richard went off on an exploration of the possibility of grass seed for bird food. Yeah. And he took home what, Rich? We took home, it was the small and the large of the gradings of Phil's ryegrass. So the reject. The reject, yeah. Just to see if birds like it, really. See if it was How a kind of marketable product. How exciting is this? Not, not that exciting. <laughs> Isn't it? No. <laughs> no. Well, so, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting yeah. for these results. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's interesting enough. The, uh, the birds don't, didn't really want to show any interest in it at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Originally, I had, I had a different size, different <laughs> grades in, in three different feeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see whether or not the birds would like it. Yes. Paid no interest whatsoever. What? No, nothing. Nothing. Nothing, not at all. So, um, so I bought some wiggly seed yes. and, uh, and hung that up in a feeder adjacent to the grass seed Control. to see whether I could like, attract the birds. Good you know, man, and, and bright boy. Take it. But they feasted on all the wiggly seed with relish mm. and completely ignored the, the grass seed. What? So I think we can safely assume that it's... That's a crap. No, no, and, no, uh, and it no. won't be a wiggly product. <laughs> Nothing at all? Uh, no. Well, Not it, even the dunnock well, you the mentioned dunnock, yeah, well, I did, there was a, uh, Honestly, if there's a, a bit of grass seed on the floor, the dunnocks will pick up a bit of it occasionally. But I think they probably have to be near starvation to, to really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. 
you, you, we can't that. add it at all to anything? Um, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, useless trial is that? It's <laughs> a good trial. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you, Richard. But, yeah, Obviously, no we'll have to send it out to somebody else to trial. Absolutely. You fail. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah, oh. for sure. Oh, poor old Toast is limping in. What's, what's happened to Toast's leg, Phil? Toast's got a nice purple bandage on her yeah, leg. Yes, she has, yeah. Poor she old was, we, we were out shooting yesterday and she was picking up and she tried to jump a wire fence where I couldn't see and she managed to stick her back leg through the top two strands and twist them over so she effectively hung herself Oof. by her back leg. Pain of the and leg. she was howling. Yeah, I bet she was. And um, I couldn't see her actually but I was nearest. Yeah. Ran to her and released her which was fine, no problem. Yeah. And she leapt off leapt up and took off across the field to retrieve the bird that she'd set out for in the really? first place. Oh my God. Picked yeah. it and brought it back, yeah. which was great. Yeah. But uh, perhaps more seriously was that the other chap who picked up at our shoot was rushing along the fence, and he's a big old boy, so he hadn't got much breath left. Yeah. And he was trying to shout at me that he'd got a pair of wire cutters and to be very careful because he'd seen somebody that she'd gone to rescue her dog in similar circumstances and the dog had bitten her in the face. Right. As a reaction to the pain yeah, yeah. that she was in and, and scarred her for life, sadly. But I'm pleased to say that Toast's bandage is only because there is a little cut on the inside of her leg and she went to see Ursula the vet last night who put three or four staples in it just to make sure it was all right and now okay. she's got a purple bandage. So she'll be fine. Absolutely fine. And enjoying this attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now the lads are friends again. We've got just the few comments and emails on that big row and the fallout that happened afterwards. There's been so much conversation in the office. People um, who work here and people who pass by heard it <laughs> and have commented on it. And Richard, I must say, at the yeah. moment, you are losing, mate. Yeah, Dan, uh, Dan yeah. away somewhere. Yeah. So that's... you environmentalists out there, if you've got a point to make, please email Richard, richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Phil, pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk or heather, heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and get your point across because Phil's winning on this one. He really is. Um, Al's um, coming in to talk about hazel after Phil, farmer Phil maligned it, um, saying it wasn't a very good hedge plant. So Makes she, good sticks, though. Well, she's coming in to put her point across. She doesn't agree with you at all, although she thinks you won on the hedging row. And Ian Salisbury, our packaging designer, packaging designer, darling, uh, well, as he's known in Wiggly World, he is the posh box man. Um, hello, Ian. He listens in every week, and his comment is, hedge debate, always a prickly subject. Yeah. I think you've sat on the fence there, mate. <laughs> uh, but then we have, hi, it's Dave here. I would like, I'm afraid, to agree with Phil. Recutting of a hedge. I have cut many in my time, and I have never seen any loss of habitat due to cutting every year. I think cutting every three years or so does not make a a good stock barrier, or B, a thick hedge. Sorry, Richard, he says. No, it's all right. We had hedges we could only cut when conditions allowed. Some years we could not get near enough because they were wet or very wet, and they became very open, not good for any bird. Love the podcasts. Keep them coming, Dave and Kath. P.S. Say hi to Jodie. Um, Dave and Kath are Jodie's something or other's uncles. Anyway, hello, Dave and Kath. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uncle Kath. <laughs> Hello, Uncle Kath. 
<laughs> I've asked a couple of experts to comment on the hedgerow right? and so we'll bring them to you if they respond to my request once the bruises have healed a little in, in, with the two heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, on a much calmer note, Flowery Phil, as he's known now, is talking about sunflowers. Farmer Flowery Phil, <laughs> come in please. <laughs> Well, it's nice to be friends with Rich again, but yeah, we've, we've just, just this week I've got news through that it looks like we're going to be able to have small packs of the ten latest varieties of sunflowers that they've bred in France for us to plant here in Herefordshire to see how we get on with them right. so that we can effectively conduct a bit of a trial as to see which varieties might suit our growing conditions, which are obviously different to those in France. Yeah. And so we're quite excited about that, and it'll be quite interesting because I suspect they might look different as well. So we might have different colours and all that sort of thing. So it'll, it'll be good. It'll be good. It was interesting. Heather and I, we, we were on a mission the other day and we drove past a field of sunflowers, didn't we, off the M5. Mm. It was M5 or M42. And uh, so it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have some good English trials. And if you have those bags of wiggly seed, there are loads of, obviously loads and loads of sunflowers in, those, in the wiggly seed. Um, if you planted some of those sunflower seeds, do you think you could get anything out of them? Yeah, they would, they would grow mostly. The only reason that we go back to what's called certified seed is that, one, it's guaranteed to grow, right. and two, they are specific varieties so that you can make a much more accurate assessment as to which actual plant suits your growing conditions. What we sell in the bag might very well be a mixture. They are just sunflower seeds, so they could be any variety, a mixture of varieties. They may or may not grow. How do they guarantee a seed to grow? They're tested right. and sampled. I actually, uh, myself, I'm a licensed seed sampler. Are you really? I'm very pleased to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> when you say you've got small packs, that sort of evokes the idea that perhaps it's a row. How many seeds have you actually got? We think that they're going to send us one hectare pack, so two and a half acres of each variety. So, so we've got 25... Acres or 10 hectares yeah. to go out. And so how many tonnes of sunflowers are you aiming to grow? Well, that's the interesting thing, really, is that I'd be pleased if we achieved somewhere between one and two tonnes an acre. But I think it'll actually come down to the quality of what we produce rather than the quantity. Mm. Have you got specific so areas of land tons. that you want to plant, like that facing certain directions? I mean, they're, they're like any other plant in as much that they'll, the better land will grow a bigger crop. But it's more crucial, as I understand it, that we get the right weather at harvest time. They will right. be late to mature and they don't like rain right. at that point. And if right. we get too much rain on the seed heads when they're ripe, they tend to rot rather than dry. Right. And that's the problem. And this is where the breeding... If you have a sunflower that when it's ripe, its head droops over nicely and the back of it is quite watertight they're obviously more resistant. If the, the head remains facing upwards yeah. and it just catches any rain and then it all goes slimy and yeah, manky, sure. then we've got a bit of a mess on our hands. Right. But, you know, we, we'll try. Yeah. We, we know that the French have been trying to breed varieties that are more weather resistant, so hopefully it'll suit our purposes. We'll find out. We'll keep you posted. And yeah. you've got another farmer on board. Yep, we've got Patrick Rickson. Chairman who, of FWAG. Right. Farming and Wildlife Advisory Group. And altogether, good egg. But he's interested in coming along with us and trying to grow more of our bird seeds, different things. We're learning all the time. We've, we've found out all sorts of things over the last couple of months. And we're trying to sort of make our best guesses as to which species we dare try and grow in Herefordshire to see what happens. But we're going to do sort of small areas 
of different things, see what happens. Right. And the key question, will we have the highest crop in Herefordshire? In terms of height? Yeah, because no. I've got in my mind the, the six-foot <laughs> sunflowers. I'm very sorry to tell you that combining sunflowers, are, they might get to three or four foot tall, but no more. Wow. And Miss Campus gets to... That's Ooh, tall, it's like isn't it? 11 foot, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. The trouble is that if they get too tall, they fall over and then the heads get wet and they're not oh, well, they're no good anyway. So that's how it is. And are you going to be making sunflower oil? Probably not at this point, but we could do. It's not a difficult process. You just squeeze the seeds effectively. There are machines to do it. Oh. Right. So that it's quite a straightforward process to do that. Right. We'll hear more about sunflowers at a later date because this is cutting edge. Cutting edge for Hereford, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Phil. OK, Monty, go for it. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Charles Darwin found out that worms do not respond to sound by blowing a large whistle. That was brilliant. Cheers, Monty. So, don't forget to subscribe if you've downloaded just this one episode because I know a lot of you are new. So welcome on board, but subscribe. Go to wigglywigglers.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And for those of you who are listening because Rach has burned you a CD, I know you're out there. Hello, Syl, Ricky, Noel, Maggie, Wendy, Anne, Nikki, Kevin who looks after the cows on the farm and Jodie's dad, Tom, who is in his truck somewhere between Hereford and Oxford, I think. Right. You need broadband. That's what you need, you lot. That's what you need, broadband. <laughs> Tell your friends to listen in. Yeah. Bye for now. From Blakemere. Bye. We've heard that our book's going to be launched at Hay Festival. Yeah. And we've got a bit of exclusive news for the <laughs> listener. <laughs> exclusive news. What what excuse news? It's the title. <laughs> oh, the title. <laughs> so, well, I'll start again. Okay. Yeah. okay.